0: Moving forward in our series about flourishing. Today we're going to talk about specifically our spiritual flourishing, which relates to identity. We're going to start off with our definition that we've been working from for flourishing. And to flourish is to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. Now, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Uh, We don't need a favorable, natural environment in order to flourish in God. In order to grow healthy and vigorous, it's the spiritual environment that we partner with God to create in our lives. That's what creates the the garden bed, basically, for us to grow. So you can flourish no matter what is happening in your life right now. As a reminder for that, we're going to go back to John 15, verses 5 through 8. Jesus uh, said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, as we see in, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is encouraging us to stay grafted into the vine. He's the vine. He's planted in the sure soil that is growing vigorously. And he's asking for us to stay grafted in. In effect, we grow in Him, right? We grow because of Him. We grow as a response to Him, not from separating from the vine and trying to plant ourselves somewhere else, right? Our responsibility, as we pointed out the last two weeks, is to remain in him, to let his words remain in us. He's doing all the hard work. We just need to stay close to him and just grow as he fills us, as he fuels us. So God is wanting for us to stay connected to him in our hearts, connected to him in our minds and follow his ways. And one of the key areas that we need to stay connected to him relates to our identity. Identity, you hear a lot of stuff about identity of late. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about social identity and our spiritual identity, which are different, but they have some similar threads that we need to take a look at. Uh, When I think about identity, I can't help but think about the Lion King, right? You guys familiar, anybody in here seen the Lion King? Hopefully this isn't like some indie film that you've never looked at. If you have kids, you've probably watched The Lion King about four bajillion times, right, on repeat. So there's this scene that I absolutely love, and I've mentioned it in several messages over the years because it's an identity scene. Simba has been wandering around. He was scared by his Uncle Scar. He's fleeing what he's supposed to be doing on Pride Rock. Um, so he's been fleeing his destiny, right? And he finds himself kind of all alone, sitting looking at the sunset, and the big lion ghost head of his dad appears in the clouds. And his dad tells him something, Mufasa tells him something that he doesn't want to hear. He says, You've forgotten me. But he says it in like the really cool, like Darth Vader-y kind of voice, right? He's like, You have forgotten me. You know, that kind of thing. And Simba, who sounds a lot like you know, Ferris Bueller, says, he says, "What are you talking about? I haven't forgotten who you are. The whole reason I'm out here is what he's thinking. The whole reason I'm out here is because I can't stop thinking about who you are and what I lost and all this and all the pain and all that." And Mufasa tells him, "No, you have forgotten who you are, and so you have forgotten me. And this is what John, uh, what John fifteen five through eight is about. Jesus wants us to stay connected." To Him so that we can be connected to the Father. Because if we're disconnected, we'll forget who we are. And then we forget who He is because He is the one who makes us who we are. Now, I want to give a little definition for just a working definition for identity. This is actually how we decide what the identity of something is. Identity is the characteristics which distinguish one individual from another individual. Everybody in the room and everybody in the world, it seems like, wants to feel like I am an absolutely unique and glorious flower in this garden of the world, and there has never been anyone like me. And to some extent, that's true. But when we talk about identity, we can't see everybody in their entire uniqueness in the natural, right? That's why we have biological taxonomy, That's why Carl Linnaeus, that Swedish botanist, which is where everybody just their attention just left right now. When we start talking about Swedish botanists, all of a sudden it's not exciting anymore. So, but Carl Linnaeus, a Swedish botanist in the 1700s, who came up with the system that we still use, it's still taught in our high schools about identifying things. And my science teacher would send us, like, you're going to go out in the field, and I want you to identify. 50 different plants and find a little thing and bring it back in in a binder, that kind of thing. You guys remember doing that kind of stuff in biology? No? It was It Why did they make me do it? <laughs> I need to go back and talk with Miss Birch about that um, if nobody else had to do this. But, but biological taxonomy. We decide what a certain plant is by first deciding what it's like. What other plants does it have a lot of stuff in common with? And then... We look for a trait that it doesn't have in common with those things, and we narrow it. And then another trait, and we narrow it. And we go kingdom, uh, order, family, phylum, genus, species. And we finally get down to the individual thing. But we, we can't identify it in the natural unless we compare it to other things. That's how we know what something is. So distinguishing characteristics means finding like and unlike qualities so that we might put ourselves into classifications and categories. Um, In effect, basically in the world, we, we identify something or someone by comparing it to something or someone else. And that's how we know who this is because we know what they have in common with that and how they're alike and how they're not alike. So when you get right down to it, the question, the identity question, who am I, it's not really about who am I, what we're really asking is who am I like? Who am I like? Who do I have stuff in common with? That's really at the heart of the identity question, right? And so I want to talk first very briefly about social identity because this is the identity that we tend to gravitate towards in the world, social identity. There is... A paper that was written by a couple of psychologists called Social Identity Theory, and they said this. Social identity is the self that's shown to other people. This is the part of ourselves that we use to create an impression, to let other people know who we are and what they can expect from us. Social identity contains elements that are socially observable, publicly available, outward expressions of the self. In a word, what you hear in media all the time now, social identity is your brand. Social identity is your brand. Every celebrity now has a brand, right? They have certain things that they agree, oh, I think I want to stand for this, I want people to see me as this, so I'm gonna endorse this product, I'm gonna go on this talk show, I'm gonna go to this party with these celebrities, I'm gonna do all of these things so that when somebody sees my social media feed, they understand what I'm about. They understand what my brand is and what use I am and what things I'm doing, right? So we all, to a certain extent, try to create a brand for ourselves. We all have a social identity. And that social identity is a story that we create about ourselves, and we do it to achieve a specific result. And, and, and we all do this in, in certain ways, right? We, all, we do this on social media. There are certain things that we don't post because we don't want somebody to see me doing that. You know, there are certain things that we don't say because we don't, we don't want to be seen as someone who would be offensive to someone else. It's not necessarily a bad thing to curate the way that we interact with other people. But the heart of it, though, is uh, I want to get to something that uh, this branding consultant, Marty Neumeier, said this. He said, branding is the process of connecting good strategy with good creativity. Good strategy with good creativity, which means that when we're creating a social identity, we're creating a brand, we're using our own ingenuity and our own decisions to det- for other people to determine who we are and who we are like. Our social identity is a personally curated impression. It's based on what we think people are going to want, what's acceptable to the world, what things are desirable, what things are celebrated in the world. And it focuses us on this idea that what we do is who we are. And that's not the way that our true identity is formed. In the world, what value do we have? What are we adding What are we doing? What's our job? What's our occupation? What groups do we belong to? What's our family relationships? What's our history that everybody can see? And we feel like, well, what we do, that makes up who we are. But that's not what our spiritual identity is. And we have to unlearn that. We have to unlearn that so we stop focusing on the self. Now, I want to start talking about our spiritual identity. But our spiritual identity operates off the same basic question, right? And that question is this. The question of who am I is really more of a question of who am I like? Now, when we're creating a brand, we look to other people, other organizations, other things that we see as favorable, and we base our brand on those things. That's who I'm like. But in the spirit, our spiritual identity, the answer to that question, who am I like, for the believer is who? Jesus. Yeah. By the way, if you're ever in church and they say, what's the answer? Just say Jesus because it's probably the answer. Right. You can always be safe just saying, Jesus. But for the believer, the answer to that question is, who am I like? Is Jesus. Notice I didn't say the answer should be Jesus. Not should be. If you have accepted Christ, then the answer for you, who am I like, is Jesus right now, whether you think you're walking in that or not, whether you think you look like Jesus or not, your identity when you're a believer is found in Jesus. That is who you are. That is the spiritual identity that you have. As an adopted son or daughter of God, your identity is found in Christ. You are now like him. That identity is active, and it is present in your life right now, and it's not something that you have to work or strive to achieve. It's something that's happening in you right now. But, like we were singing earlier, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, so you give yourself away. That's so hard for us to get. It's hard for us to remember to surrender into something and to let go of trying to prove ourselves, trying to impress God, trying to work our way into his good graces. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. Uh, John wrote about this in something we read actually just a couple months ago. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. What a marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously, because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. If you have accepted Jesus, you have seen him. You have seen him. And in seeing him, you have become like him. In the eyes of the Father, when, when God is looking at you, regardless of what you just did right before you walked in the room and I said this, right, or what you just thought or whatever, when, when God looks at you, you are in Christ. And so who he sees is Christ. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus because you said, yes, I want to be found in you, Jesus, Jesus. And that's really freeing, but it's also very hard for us to get because we like to make sure that we're doing stuff to earn it. Uh, 1 John 4, 16 and 17 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, we also are in this world. I'm excited today because we have have people who are going to be baptized, right? And baptism is all about identity. Baptism is all about identity. When we get baptized, what we're doing is we're saying publicly, "I, I want to embrace and walk out this new identity that you have started on the inside. And I want, to, I want everyone to know because I want you all to walk with me. I, I, I want the world to see on the outside what's happening on the inside. It's, a, it's an embracing of the identity that God says we have. And right now, really quickly, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism because there's some important things that we can learn from identity about, uh, from this. So Matthew 3, 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment... Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. In there, in verse 17, God does three things in this booming voice from heaven. And and God says three things. He says, First of all, this is my son. So at his baptism, God affirms his identity this is my kid, he belongs to me. He does not belong to this world. He is from someplace else. He is from me. And then he says, whom I love. So right there at his baptism, God affirms for Jesus and for all of us that his love is poured out into this son of his, this child of his. And then he says, with whom I am well pleased. So he's letting Jesus know, I like what you're doing. I approve of you. I think what we need to remember, one of the most important things I think about this is that God does these three things. He affirms his identity. He validates how much he loves him. And he affirms that he is pleased with him before Jesus performs any public ministry. Jesus hasn't done any of the cool Jesus things yet. He hasn't turned water to wine. He hasn't, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't healed anyone. He has, he hasn't spoken in ways that people have never heard before. He, he hasn't just called out things, word of knowledge about things he shouldn't even know in this, but he knows him in the spirit. He hasn't done any of that. He hasn't done any of the things that we think make him Jesus. Before any of his public ministry, God said, "I know who you are. You are mine." I love you, and I am pleased with you. And I think it's really important for us to get that because that's who we are when we receive Jesus. We are found in him, and God looks at us, and he says, you are mine. I love you, and I am so pleased with you. So if you are not feeling that he thinks that about you. If you're not feeling that right now, I just want you to know, feelings don't rule everything. The word rules everything. God rules everything, right? What he spoke over us is the final word. So even if you're not feeling it right now, I want you to know, you are his child. He loves you. And he is pleased with you. Whether you feel it right now or not. How does this happen? Paul describes it in... in a letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from you. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You need to know this is the wonder of being found in Christ. The resurrected Jesus gives us a new identity. You are seen by God through the eyes that are looking at Jesus. He's looking at Jesus, and he sees you in him. That's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Um, Pastor Tim Keller said, the Christian identity is received. It's not achieved. And that takes enormous pressure off of us to perform and to merit our affirmation. We, don't, we, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. Still, he gives it to us. And all we have to do is surrender and remain. That's our part, Surrender. And remain. So just to recap, our social identity, which we all have, we're operating in a world, we all have an identity that people look to us and, oh, well, I think they're like this, right? But our social identity, we can't put our trust in that. It's self-curated. We decide who we are by our choices, by our strategies and our creativity. Uh, We build and we maintain that identity through our own efforts. But if we mess up, that can be taken away by others. That can be taken away by others. If all we are is the sum total of what we've done, then all we are changes when we do something else. But our spiritual identity, who we are in Christ, is God-given, God-created. It's not based on any works we've done, and it can never be taken away from us. It can never be taken away from you. If you are found in Christ, then you are found in Christ forever. That is how he sees you. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to take a look really quickly at Jesus in the wilderness. It doesn't mean that the devil won't try to convince you otherwise. The enemy doesn't want you or me to just realize that all we have to do is surrender and remain and our identity is secure. He wants us to get in our heads about it. He wants us to get in doubt. He wants us to imagine that it's harder than that. That there's something we must be doing wrong. And so these are some lies that he tells us, and we need to talk about them so that we can expose it. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? Yeah. That makes sense. The word does not lie. You know, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. And the devil told him, oh, you're hungry. Why Why are you hungry if you're the son of God? What's going on? How come your needs aren't getting met? Take those stones and turn them into bread. You can totally do that. It's so easy for you. Lie number one that the devil will try to convince us of is that God doesn't love us enough to provide for us, that somehow we're not measuring up in this relationship, and so he's going to punish us by withholding. That's a lie. The enemy is daring Jesus to use his identity in the wrong way and to get him to question God's provision, to question God's plan, right? He responds with the word. He responds with scripture. We get tempted all the time to provide for ourselves. I know God told you this, but you could probably make some of that happen on your own. We get tempted to question God, how come I don't have this? How come this isn't working? How come that's going wrong? Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble, right? So it shouldn't be a a surprise when trouble comes. But he also said, if you remain in me, And you'll flourish. So it's our job just to surrender and remain, but the enemy wants to convince us to disobey instead of standing firm in our identity, trusting God that we're loved, we're valued, we're seen, we're cared for. He wants us to just take care of it ourselves, which actually leads us to the next lie. Matthew 4, verse 5 through 7. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put your Lord your God to the test. Line number two, the enemy will try to convince us that you can actually do better by taking matters into your own hands. I know God promised you this. I know he's got that relationship you're supposed to be involved in and all that, but but you can do better if you will just... Take matters into your own hands. The devil's temptation is for Jesus to perform this amazing, like, creative miracle, this test of God, to prove and show to everyone who he really is. The thing about your identity in Christ is that you don't have to prove it to anyone. It just is. To try to prove it to someone means that we're operating in pride. I don't need to prove to anyone that I'm a child of God. I just need to surrender and remain and let him take care of that department, In the same way, we have to choose not to act out of pride for the sake of impressing other people. We're tempted to do it all the time. We gotta choose to just be who he says we are and then rest in the love that he has for us. Surrender and remain. So Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This lie is very much like one of the lies that we were talking about last week. Lie number three is that you can have all the reward without honoring the relationship. The enemy is always trying to make us take a shortcut. He's telling Jesus here, I have a way where you can be Lord over all the things of the earth without going to the cross. You don't have to do all that stuff the Father is going to make you do. I can give it to you right now. Boy, that sounds like a raw deal. That sounds like deception, doesn't it? You can have everything that God promised without doing the things God said. The same temptations apply to us. We have to understand there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God because there are no shortcuts to relationships. You ever tried to get a relationship going like really deep without spending time? doesn't happen. doesn't happen. How do you spell relationship? T-I-M-E. That's how you spell it. It's what it takes. There are no shortcuts to relationship, and so there are no shortcuts in the kingdom. You are loved by God beyond measure. You are seen by the Father. (laughs) You are His beloved. You are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. You carry the authority of Jesus because you are found in Him. That's who you are. That's who you are. And if we ever forget that, i want to share three things very quickly before we close. These are some practices to remember your identity in Christ. Number one, know the scriptures. Know the scriptures. That's why I put them in that list for you to save. That's why Jesus in, in that uh, temptation in the wilderness, that's why he didn't answer the devil with anything except the word. He said, oh, by the way, uh, the word says this. So he knew. He knew who he was. He knew what had been spoken over him. And so when the lie came, he was ready because the scriptures reveal who God is and they reveal who we are in Christ. And if we ever forget that, we need to study, but we need to ask the Holy Spirit who promised that he would remind us of everything that God ever said to us. So that's number one, practices to remember your identity. Uh, Number two, worship God. Worship God. If you're ever having a crisis, you're forgetting who you are, who he is. You've forgotten me, or you've forgotten who you are, and so forgotten me. That whole Mufasa moment, if you're ever in that, just begin to worship him, and he will remind you, because when we worship him, we put God in his proper place, and when we put him in his proper place, everything else is put in its proper place, including ourselves and our perception of who we are. So when we're in crisis mode, worship. When you're on the mountaintop, worship, because it will keep us rooted in the truth of who he is and who we are in him. It gives us proper perspective. Amen. And the third thing is what we're doing right now. Remain in community. Remain, Surrender, remain. Part of remaining is remaining in community. If I forget who I am and you see it, Please tell me who God says I am, because I need to know. If you're recognizing it, I probably need to know, because I've forgotten. And if I see you flailing around and like, I, I don't know if they remember what God said about them, I want to tell you. But we can't tell each other if we're not around each other. We can't encourage one another if we're not around each other. So remain in community. And that's not just in this church. Remain in communities of believers who can build you up. And then in those communities where it's a mixed group and there's people who don't know him yet, you be the one who encourages. You be the one who reveals what God says about us. You be the one who's willing to see who they really are and affirm that for them. Because they may not be hearing it from anyone else. You may be there just for that purpose. Now, our social identity reinforces for us that what I do makes me who I am. What I do makes me who I am, gives me value. Our spiritual identity, we recognize he makes me who I am, and that inspires all that I do. We don't know who we are in isolation, so it's important for us to belong to a group of people who can walk with us, affirm our spiritual identity, and encourage us to grow in Christ. Thank you.